Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. We turn to the Gospel of Mark for our call to confess our sins this morning. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Hear God's Word. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And He said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And we'll pause in the story at that point to consider that Jesus, uh, gathering the disciples together, after they have done a great deal, he sent them out to do ministry, cast out demons, heal, teach. They come back to him, and he says, you're tired, you've been doing a lot of work, come, let's go rest. But then, they don't get rest. The, the crowds keep coming, and Jesus has compassion, he teaches them. And the disciples, though, seem impatient to get away, right? Send them away, we, we need our rest. Come on, Jesus, it's time for a little me time, as we might say today. And right at that point, God will often plop a ministry opportunity into your lap, as we call it, a ministry opportunity. Be ready to lay yourself out uh, when you think it's time for a break. God may have other plans. It reminds me of the, the jokes we see sometimes on the, the satire sites about uh, the, the husband waiting in the parking lot after the church service forever and forever for while his wife is talking in, in church yet, right? Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes it's not me time yet. Uh, and so let, let us consider that as we confess our sins before Almighty God today. Please kneel if you're able and I'll pray our prayer of confession today. Bibles, we'll be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 21 next. We're actually going five verses into the next chapter as well. It's part of the same section. But we'll start at the beginning of 1 Samuel 21. Let's pray before we read God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Word. Thank you that you have given us revelation, given us truth, given us guidance throughout our lives. We pray that that your spirit would be present with us now, working among us and within our hearts, 
uh, to show us what this text means, uh, to show us your son Jesus, uh, and to change us to be more like him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Samuel 21, hear God's word. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before him, before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you, till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. The story is told, a true story from World War II, 
of a Polish pilot just at the beginning of the war, uh, a Pole who was an Air Force uh, fighter pilot. He escaped from Poland and managed to get a, a Jew across his border. He met a, a Jew in the hotel where he was uh, staying uh, as he was escaping the land. And he hid the Jew from the Gestapo that came searching on his hotel room door. It saved the guy. They couldn't talk to each other, language, barrier. But he managed to convince the guy to go get in his plane with him. He was going to fly across the border. He'd, he'd get him across the border, German border and just drop him off in a field, and then he had to move on. So he did. Never heard from the guy again. Years later, the Battle of Britain is taking place. This Polish Air Force fighter pilot is in the Battle of Britain, and he's hit, and his plane crashes in Britain. He's badly injured. He has head injuries. The doctors, who he, they take him to the field hospital. The doctors think, I don't think this is going to work. He's not going to survive. But it turns out that that Jew that he helped escape years ago had fled to Scotland, and he was a neurosurgeon. And he's listening to the wireless, and he hears the guy's name. He had seen the guy's name on the map in the hotel room where they had met. And, and so he fly, flies to that hospital. He operates on the man, and he saved his life. Amazing story of, of providence, God's provision. The, the Pole helps the Jew, and years later, the Jew helps the Pole back. It's a story that... Uh, illustrates the theme today, which is that God provides for us in hard times, and often in strange ways. And we see that in our text. Uh, this uh, chapter seems like a random collection of various things that are happening, and that's kind of how it's supposed to feel, because David is now on the run, right? So if you see in the uh, outline, I've got uh, 10 different points today in a, a, a a strange sermon where we have ten points, but really there's only two, right? We've got the wilderness and we've got provision. David is now in the wilderness, he's on the run, and, and he's in five different places in this chapter. Uh, and that's meant to kind of disorient you because David's disoriented at this point. He, at first he's at, at Nob at the, at the tabernacle, then he's in Gath with the king, and then he's in the cave of Adullam. Then he's in Moab, uh, bringing his parents there. And then he's in the forest of Judah. Five different places. David's just all over the place, on the run. He's in the wilderness, but God provides for him each place. So that's the, the ten points I've got here as we go through quickly. Uh, each place, we'll see how, how Nob is a wilderness, how the Gath is a wilderness, uh, and so on. And then how God provides in each of those places. Uh, one thing to remember as we consider this is that David's life really recaps all the whole history of Israel. If you think of the history of Israel as exodus from Egypt, and then wandering in the wilderness, and then moving into the promised land, uh, that same three-step process happens in David's life. That You have the exodus, that's just happened as he has left the house of the oppressive king. He just left the house of Saul. He's made this exodus, and he's on the run. And what's the first thing that he encounters? Bread. Remember, Passover and unleavened bread go together. Israel can't, they're in such haste, they can't um, wait for the leaven to rise in the bread. So they have unleavened bread. In the same way, here you have David getting out of the house, encountering bread, and in an irregular kind of way, takes the bread and moves on. 
So David has an exodus here, and now he's in the wilderness. And you have a wilderness experience for David in the next several chapters, where Saul's after him, he's tested, he's not the king yet, he hasn't received the promise that God's given him. So that's where we are in the story, in the history of Israel. You see the same thing, by the way, in the life of Jesus, and in our own lives, we have the same kind of idea, right? We have an exodus when we are converted to the Lord, we're taken out of the kingdom of darkness, put in the kingdom of light. But, but we often have wilderness experiences. We may be, even be in the promised land, but there's Canaanites all around us that we have to fight. So we have a similar kind of template in our lives. Anyway, well, let's start in Nob. Nob is where the tabernacle is and where the priests are. And David uh, makes him think that he's sent by Saul. Uh, some ethical questions arise here we don't have time to pause for. Uh, David is really lying to the priest, right? And then he takes the bread he shouldn't take. And, and we start to wonder, is this right? Is that what he's supposed to be doing? And the point of the text more is to say, uh, when you're on the run, when you're in the wilderness, when, when Saul's after you, you're going to be put in hard spots and in diff- difficult situations. And David is. I think that David uh, lies to the priest here to protect the priest. Because Saul is going to ask why he let David go. So David gives him some plausible deniability, they say in court, Right? that the priest won't know. So the priest will be safe, is the idea, which is interesting when you look ahead in the text, but we'll get to that next time. So David is, is trying to protect this priest, and he's also taking the bread that he shouldn't be taking. We'll get to that later on. But that's the wilderness experience here. Even though David is in front of the tabernacle, in front of the table of showbread, he's in a hard spot. The bread isn't supposed to be his. Here's the priest that's really wondering why he's here by himself. It's like the priest knows the politics of the day. You know, Saul and David are not on good terms. How come David's here by himself? What's going on? So David is suspected. Uh, he's, He's short of bread. He's in a hard spot. That's the wilderness of Nob. Then you have the wilderness of Gath in verses 10 through 15. And the Philistines recognize David, right? So they recognize that David is um, the king of the land, they even say, in verse 11. Saul won't even recognize that, but the Philistines do. This is the true king. So, uh, but the question again arises, why would David go to Gath? Uh, David would not be safe anywhere in Israel, he, his family either. He has to cross the border. He has to get out of Saul's jurisdiction, where Saul's soldiers can't follow him. Uh, and it seems from the geography that Gath is the closest or the easiest way out uh, from where he is. Or maybe he figures Gath will be happy to have him on their side, uh, turned against Saul. Wouldn't that be great if an Israel uh, turns coat and can fight for us? Maybe David's thinking that. We're not sure. Anyway, it turns out not the way he thought it was going to be. They want to kill him. This is the guy who's killed many of our veterans, our soldiers. If we, this guy deserves death. That's the way their thinking is going. And David sees that, and he's shrewd to act crazy, right? God provides some wisdom in that moment. That's, that's some of the provision in this desert. So uh, he, he's crazy. The Hebrew is meshugana. It's a fun little word to say. Uh, and it's, it's a word that's uh, the same word in a different tense as the word for praise, which is interesting, because to Philistines, worship is insanity. Uh, to worship the true God is, is crazy. Uh, the world looks at us and thinks they're, they're crazy to, to be spending a Sunday morning in church. Why would you do that? 
And what do you do with, in a society with insane people anyway? They're dangerous to themselves. They're dangerous to others. It's best to, to, to pity them and to lock them out of your cultural conversation. That's kind of what's happening these days. We're, we're not so much being opposed as we're being pitied for being so deluded. Anyway, that's an aside. Akish is, is satisfied here that David presents no political threat to him, right? The best David can hope for in this moment, to use some of our modern language again, the best David can hope for is to be canceled, not to be killed. And that's what he gets. He gets sent away. Just get out of here. And David breathes a sigh of relief. He writes Psalm 56 as well, which we'll look at later. So David again follows, or he pictures ahead of time, the son of David. If you remember Jesus, his own family thought he was crazy. So you have a little parallel there. that That's what happens to those who follow Jesus. We're often thought to be crazy, by our own family even, by those around us. So here at the end of this passage, verse 14 or so, I think it is, you have one of the best jokes in all of Scripture, I think. King Akish, in verse 14 he says, like I don't have enough crazy people around here that I need you to send me another one? So you can tell King Akish is kind of upset with his cabinet. It's like, you guys are already crazy. I'm getting bad advice from you already. Why give me another crazy guy? What are you, what are you thinking? So it's great court humor, I think, there for the, the king to say this. Just get him out of here. So they want to punish David, but they realize, and David's shrewd enough, or God puts it in his heart to do this, uh, to, to act crazy, and that, that makes everybody think, this guy's had punishment enough. He, he's, he's crazy. We're, let's just get him out of here. That spares David's life. Fascinating. So again, David does something very irregular because he's in the wilderness, uh, and, and he needs to uh, spare his life. He needs to uh, survive and move on somehow. So that's Gath, the wilderness there. Then in verse 1 and 2 of the next chapter, you have the cave of Adullam. And here, David is in the cave. Here's obviously a wilderness experience. This is his hideout. And when they ask Jesus, right, the disciples ask Jesus, the crowds call out to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus kind of reigns on that parade. Instead of saying, great, way to go, have, have zeal for me, that's right. Instead of that, Jesus reigns on that parade a bit, and he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Fascinating. Uh, I was just listening to a, a talk by R.C. Sproul just this morning, and he was talking about Jesus ministering on earth and, and how people are set against God in our sinful, natural state, we're against God. We're not neutral to him. We don't tolerate him like we say we do. We're against him. And if, if God's life were somehow vulnerable to, to human hostility, we would kill him. And that's what we did with Jesus on the cross. That's what people do to God if they have the chance. We're hostile to him. And so you see Jesus was in that same wilderness kind of experience. Vulnerable. Uh, there was, Sproul said this morning, there wasn't a moment in Jesus' life where he was safe. He was vulnerable to attack from God's enemies every day of his life. Same kind of thing with David's experience here in the wilderness. He is vulnerable. And he's in this cave. Uh, other people are coming to him, interesting. Uh, anyone who was in distress, who was in debt, 
everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now, if you imagine that a little bit, that is a challenge. That's another wilderness experience. You know, this is, you know, people who are in debt and who don't want to pay. Maybe they're in debt to Saul or some of Saul's insider banking people. These are all people who are basically against Saul. And they all are fleeing Saul and coming to David. They're all discontent with him. And it reminded me of Gethsemane when Jesus, when they come out to arrest Jesus. Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion that you come out to me? Jesus wasn't leading a rebellion. And David wasn't either. But it looked like it. <laughs> because all of these discontent people are gathering around. He's got a band of 400 men now. But David's not going after Saul. He, he never seeks to overthrow the kingdom. So, like, G, like David here, Jesus doesn't raise arms against the anointed leaders, no matter how corrupt they become. He'll convict them, he'll speak against them. But God will topple them in his own way and time. Well, at the same time, both Jesus and David, they're, they're both working their own plans, led by God, right? Jesus goes on teaching and healing. Uh, David continues on here. And we read from the, the feeding of the 5,000 this morning. Part, part of Christ's plan also involved bread in the wilderness, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness. Uh, and how many loaves of bread? He's got five loaves, two fish, right? David gets five loaves of bread from the priest in Nob. I think there's a connection there. It's, it's, the text is echoing each other, telling us to listen and put these together for some reason. David flees to the wilderness in preparation to restore Israel from Saul's corruption. So his followers, they're willing to make him king, especially after he feeds them with the bread in the wilderness. And the same thing happens to Jesus, right? They want to make him king. But the point is stronger. Jesus has 12 apostles, reminds us of the 12 tribes that left Egypt, wandered in the desert, received bread from heaven in, in the manna. So there's David in the cave of Adullam. And again, David is tempted in several of the next chapters. David's tempted to take vengeance on Saul. And he has an opportunity at several points. And many who gather are discontented with Saul, and they want him to take that chance. Go for it. But David honors the anointed leader instead. So that, that's a lesson for us, I think. We have to resist the temptation to strike back in, in a reactionary way uh, against corrupt leadership, possibly in our nation. Uh, I think we're right to gather together as discontents, so to speak, as we gather and, and hear the scriptural uh, call uh, to follow Christ, uh, and, but to revile corrupt leaders, to not recognize the authority that they have as given by God, that, that goes too far. And, and David knew it. So he's gathered in the cave. He becomes the captain of them. And uh, a bit more on this. I think this, bears, uh, this is fruitful for us to consider. Uh, how do you manage this kind of discontent from 400 people and channel that in godly ways? That's a test of leadership, if ever I've heard of. And that's our task today, as we find ourselves in a bit of a spiritual wilderness, where people do not understand the, the biblical worldview, uh, where people don't even live in a family as God meant it to be, uh, where people don't understand the role of faith in the political process. 
Uh, our friends in, in Moscow used to put out a magazine called Credenda Agenda, and, and they had a page, a section in there every time called The Cave of Adulam, and, and it was a reference to this text. And they would document the spiritual wilderness we were in, all the crazy stuff that's happening out there in the world. That, and they're making the point. Things are really crazy, and we ought to gather and look at that together and see the truth and see how crazy things are. Yes. Uh, but we have to be careful how we manage that. Do we just go down to the courthouse and blast away with our discontent at the judges? Is the world just going to see a loud fringe group that's always against everything? Well, first we ought to raise healthy families, churches, and groups of churches that are stable and strong. Uh, we need to show the, show the world what we are for. Uh, show them the joy of a teenager who's helping care for a younger sibling. Show them the love of a church helping a family that's struggling through a family disease, a major disease or a job loss. Show them the love of Christ, even as we are indeed discontent with the way things are going. So that's the wilderness of the cave of Adullam. David is somehow able to stabilize this righteous anger and frustration with corrupt Saul and channel that in a healthy, good way. That, that's a difficult task, but he does it. That's the, the cave. Uh, the, the fourth wilderness is Moab. David now goes to Moab. If you know the geography, uh, the cave of Adullam is kind of on the west side of Israel, and Moab is way over to the east. So David goes a long ways through Israel, uh, covertly obviously, with his parents to, to find them protection in Moab. And David's looking ahead here. David is, is not so much desperate. He's not self-pitying. He's not uh, having the attitude of the sky is falling, which are all kind of things that tempt us when we see the wilderness around us. David is planning ahead. He takes his parents, brings them to the king of Moab, and says, will you protect them until I see what God will do for me? Ah, David still has his eyes on the Lord. I wonder what God is going to do for me, even as I'm on the run, going from place to place to place to place, uh, with all these kind of crazy people around me, kind of gathering to me, that God's still going to do something for me. That's the wilderness of Moab. And then Judah, he's hiding in the woods. There you have it in verse 5. The prophet tells him to go to the, the land of Judah. So he goes to the forest of Hereth. So the wilderness here in Judah is the fact that David's hiding in the woods in his own land. David's from Judah. This, this, is his, this is his state, so to say. He's back in Michigan, but he's got to hide out in the woods. He, he's still in the wilderness. Kind of reminds me of Robin Hood. I don't know if you, how much you know of Robin Hood, but there's some connections between David with his band of discontented men and Robin Hood with, with his merry men. Same uh, kind of thing. You know, we've got the usurping sheriff of Nottingham, right? Uh, King John's gone. I think I'm getting the names wrong, but you get the idea. King Saul is the usurper. He's the one in charge. A lot of connections there. Anyway, that's the wilderness of, of Judah. So what I want to do now is, is rewind the tape and look at how God provides in each of these wildernesses. Okay? So it, go back to Nob, where David is uh, at the tabernacle. And what does God do to provide for David in each of these five places? Well, he's providing bread for, in the wilderness for David. That, that's the first thing, right? He, the priest uh, is, is wise enough to say, um, yeah, you can have this bread. This is a desperate and an irregular situation. The law technically says you shouldn't have it. 
But I can see that if, if you don't have this, you're going to be severely strapped in your mission, which is an urgent one from the Lord, which was true, <laughs> even though David is misleading him a little bit, right? So David uh, is given bread. He also has Goliath's sword. There's another provision. Interesting that Saul is always shown with the spear in Samuel, right? He's always clinging to the spear and using force. Uh, but you can use a, the worldly weapon faithfully, as David does. So from a human point of view, it's, it's the use of, um, of, of worldly weapons. Uh, and in, in his day, you had a technological advance being made, right? The Philistines uh, had developed iron, and they were um, holding that back from Israel. And that's why they were able to win in all the, the contests, right? Well, David, when he becomes the king, he defeats all of the Philistines. And we're pretty sure that that's because of the iron technology. David spends some time with the Philistines when he's in exile. He, he learns about iron. He's able to develop iron. So David, God provides for David sometimes in, in earthly technological ways that, that help him to prosper. That Goliath's sword is a representation of that. He takes that sword, which he uh, uh, won as a trophy in the fight with Goliath. So God's providing for David. Bread, sword, uh, and then in Gath, God also provides. Uh, and, and David's response is the, the key to see there. If you go back to Psalm 56, where we read, you see that God's, David's response to how God provides for him is just wonderful. Lots of talk about enemies, right? They twist my words. Their thoughts are against me for evil, verse 5. Uh, but verse 9 is key. Da David's response when he gets out of Gath is not so much, whew, that was close. That's not his response. Psalm 56 gives us the response. And verse 9, when I cry out to you, my enemies will turn back. This I know. Because God is for me. That's, that's David's main response. When, when God provides for me, when he gets me through a hard time, I know that God is for me. That's David's response. That's how God provides for him. He gives him wisdom to see. I helped you through this, David. Uh, in the cave of Adullam, uh, God also provides. Here, I think he gives David leadership capability. David is made captain of them, it says. These men are willing to look to David for leadership. As upset as they are, as distressed they are, as discontent as they are with Saul, they're willing to look to David because they've heard about him defeating Goliath. They've heard that David defeated ten thousands, Saul thousands. They're looking to David to be their leader. That's some uh, huge provision by God for David. I think at this time David is writing many of his psalms. Uh, when he was in the cave is often said as, as psalm uh, subtitles. And that's another insight. You know, consider hiding out in a cave so that Saul can't find you with all these discontented people coming to you say, saying, lead us, tell us what to do, how do, how do we get rid of this guy? Right? The, their main energy is all focused against. We're, we're upset with Saul. We're, we don't like the way things are going in this nation. We've got to turn this thing around. Let's, let's garner the vote. Let's get out with the soldiers. Come on, let's go. And what's David's response? He's writing psalms. He's leading these men. It's different than we think. Uh, he, I think the principle there is that growing in Christ, 
is a greater goal, a more important than goal for us than being discontent with politics. And it's been very easy to be discontent with politics in the last few months. And sometimes we almost equate the two, and we think, well, if I'm discontent with how things are going, that, makes, that means I'm growing in Christ. They're not always the same thing. And David here is uh, singing, praying to his God, leading these men in faithful ways. God's providing that. Uh, next in Moab, we have uh, the provision that God gives here. And this one's fascinating. This, was, this is what takes us back to that Polish uh, Air Force pilot. Uh, he was uh, provided for through something that happened in the past, something else that he did. Well, consider Moab a moment in, in Scripture. Who do we know that is from Moab before David's time? David's great-grandmother. Her name was Ruth. Ruth is from Moab. One of the commentaries that I've been using lately uh, makes this point. It says they would have known this. They would have known that David's uh, ancestor was a Moabite. It sheds some light, I think, on Naomi's suffering. Uh, the connection between suffering and provision is very fascinating. The, the priests are going to suffer for giving David bread. Jesus suffers, and that provides for us, right? The, this Polish pilot, he suffers a little bit in trying to get this, this Jew to escape, and then he's provided for later. God's, he's planning out his provision and his kindness to us all the time. And so uh, when Ruth, and Na when Naomi suffers... And Ruth is diligent and, and, and uh, faithful. That brings forth uh, their uh, grandson, David. Uh, and then you have David, who is in need, who goes to Moab and receives help and is provided for. Uh, so uh, sometimes the, one of the lessons to learn there is that some of the suffering that you face in this life, uh, you may never get an answer for why, but maybe your grandchildren will. Maybe your great-grandchildren will. And, and maybe that will, in some way, that only God can weave together, in some way God will provide for your loved ones, for your country, for your church, whatever it may be. So God is providing, even through Ruth and in Moab. And finally, back in Judah, where the prophet tells David to go back, God's providing for David there in another way, and that is guidance. This prophet Gad comes out of nowhere. We really don't know where he comes from. We kind of assume it was from Samuel's, one of Samuel's disciples. We don't know. But remember that Saul has asked for God's guidance for his help, and no answer is given after a certain point. God is not helping Saul anymore. The spirit departs from Saul and is with David. That's a huge way that God provides for us. He guides us. Saul isn't being guided by God anymore because he's turned his back on God's will. But David, God will speak to David. And David belongs in Judah, and, and that's uh, the one place he hasn't gone yet is back home. So David goes home, even though he's uh, on the run in the woods. God provides for uh, David that way, through provision. So you see the very... I wanted to give you ten different points like this to make the point partly that God provides for us in so many different ways, right? That through through the, the guidance, uh, through shrewdness, through leadership, uh, through the blessing of, uh, of a past, uh, if it's your great-grandmother Ruth, many different ways. 
that God will provide for you. And we can't work that all, all out and make that happen. God's going to do that. Our call is to be faithful. So just two quick points of application this morning. Uh, one personal, one uh, cultural. Right? On the cultural level, uh, the Christian worldview is being marginalized in the public square. Right? The church, we are in the wilderness. Uh, there's, the king, Saul, ha- has kind of uh, shoved us out, is, is in the process of canceling us, uh, and we're in the wilderness. What do we do in that moment? Well, we gather together, we're kind of discontent. Right? There's a lot of upset, like every time you re- you'll watch or read the news, it's like, I can't believe this. That's really happening? So we're in that kind of situation. What do we do in that moment? Well, we, we gather together, for one thing, but we, we're, we seek to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, and we realize we're going to find ourselves in irregular situations. That, that's going to come up. It hasn't happened much in, in the past. But, you know, as we read through the psalm, I couldn't help but think of the, the cake baker in Colorado, right? That's one example where the psalm just comes alive. When you read about the enemies that David has in the psalms, sometimes you cringe and you're like, I don't have this experience. I don't have these enemies. What are you talking about? Well, the cake baker in Colorado does. He's got somebody suing him every month for s- simply trying to act out his Christian faith. That's coming more and more. You have to be aware of that. And second, on a personal level, we have to realize that there's a, there's a personal aspect to this as well, right? There, there are wildernesses that we go through spiritually. Uh, sometimes they call it the dark night of the soul, uh, or it's just a dry time, whatever it may be. God will provide for you in those times, when, when you're kind of on the outs, when things aren't how they should be, uh, when you're discontent and you shouldn't be discontent, it may be that, whatever it is, we find ourselves in the wilderness. And, and this is no better than we can expect because Jesus was there before his ministry, before his passion. He went there on purpose to, to prepare uh, to serve the Lord. So we're called to follow him. Uh, we're a, a discontented band and we're discontent with our own state, with our own situation, not just with our nations, but with our own lives personally. There ought to be some level of discontent. We're not perfect yet. Things aren't how they should be. There's the sin that I can't get put away. My extended family is a bit of a mess. Whatever it is, there's a righteous discontent there. So let's follow the Lord Jesus, trusting that we will see what God will do for us. That's what David uh, says to the king of Moab, of all people. But God's going to restore his kingdom. He's going to turn the wilderness into a garden paradise. And until he does that, we cling to the bread of life. We trust in his provision for his people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've blessed us with guidance in your word. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have come to us, provided for us in the atonement on the cross, forgiving us and favoring us. Thank you that you have provided for us in so many other ways as well, giving us a place to worship you like this, giving us your word to hear preached, giving us your table where we can partake of bread and wine and experience and know our union with Christ. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you put us in the wilderness uh, many times uh, deliberately to teach us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to grow, 
Uh, help us to seek out the lessons that you want us to learn. Uh, instead of simply maintaining a natural state of discontent and upset with things that we hear and see. Teach us, Lord, and help us to learn and to grow. We pray this in Christ's name, and we sing as he taught us to pray. fled from Pharaoh and entered the wilderness, God gave them water and bread and meat and water from the rock and bread from heaven. How thirsty Israel must have been after three days with little to drink. How hungry they must have been after a month and a half with little to eat. And God nourished them with bread and water on their way to the promised land. When Elijah fled from Ahab and Jezebel into the wilderness, God sent an angel with bread and water for his 40-day journey to Sinai. It was much-needed nourishment. There he heard God's voice calling Elijah to begin restoring Israel as a nation. When Jesus was led into the wilderness, he was tempted to make bread for himself instead of rely on his Father. He was on his way to glory, too, but it led through the cross first. So we need to realize, we need to gather to Jesus, distressed and discontent maybe, discontent with the state of things in our own soul and family first. Do we gather to Jesus here because we think that Jesus can do something about it? Because he can. What he gives here is life-giving nourishment. We need this. If we hold out our hand, we see there's nothing in our hand, nothing in our hands we bring we sing sometimes, just as David's hand was empty when he came to Nob. Ahimelech's hands, though, were full, and he was gracious. How much more so the son of David, the bread of life, who multiplied five loaves of bread to feed thousands. So receive him now as we gather at the Lord's table. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.